Welcome back to another episode of the Shift Drink Podcast. I'm Edward DeSalle sitting here with Arthur Black, as always. Here, dry on a rainy day in New York. And uh, today we have got Jim Ramdo with us from Novo Fogo Cachaza. It just feels like it's. In, I'm in Seattle. I might as well be in Seattle right now because it's just the same weather. I think New York wanted to make you feel at home. They do. They do that. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're a welcoming city. <laughs> right. Yeah, Very accommodating. Yeah. Hey, quick! This guy's coming in. And actually, but it's, it's raining. Rain. It's actually raining like real rain. We don't yeah. actually have real rain in Seattle. Hey, oh man, you're screwing everybody in Seattle right now. We've talked about this a couple of times with some other guests on the show. It's just that, like little piddly rain. But it's it a racket, though. Like, because everybody in Seattle says, "Oh, don't move here. It's terrible. It rains all the time." But it's not real rain. No, it's don't like mist. move there. Everyone keeps moving there. Right. But go ahead. I own property there now, so keep keep having my property value go up. It's fine. There you go. There you go. <laughs> That's why you're ruining it for everyone. It's true. We really are. It's <laughs> terrible. Right. Seattle's a great town. I'm not as familiar with the bar scene in Seattle as the restaurant because all my buddies in Seattle I've spent time with are all like of Canalis and R74 and Matt, and they're they're more on the wine side than the the, the bar side, but. I have to assume uh, that it's an awesome bar scene. It is an incredible bar scene. That's how I actually uh, I met Jim uh, several years ago um, from hanging at a bar that he worked at uh, for a while, uh, Rumba. And prior to that, you were uh, at numerous other places. Yeah, and mostly before that, I was at Vessel. In Seattle, right? In Seattle, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, it was mostly Vessel and Rumba, my big big alma maters for the bar world. Um, I'm very partial to those. I had a great, the last, it was the last three years at Rumba before, about a year and a half ago, jumping, jumping to the other side of selling spirits. But yeah, the Seattle's bar scene's strong. We were, I mean, Zigzag is like the godfather of Seattle bars for cocktails. And they were it one of really the first, is. They were one of the first cocktail bars in the, in the nation doing like classic cocktails back in, I don't remember, probably like in the late 90s doing I've classic cocktails. I've said numerous times, um, of all the cocktail bars that I've been to in the United States, um, Going into Zigzag has always impressed me every single time, probably more so than anybody else, like how positive and amazing everybody is there. Like the first time I went in, there was a guy washing dishes, just doing the glassware. And, the owner. Was it? and uh, he was just all smiles, man, just super smiles. Like, hey, how you doing, guys? And, like, I've never seen anybody enjoy that so much. And I was like, I'm going to like this place a lot because that's, that's service, you know? I guarantee you that person would probably be their Ben or Casey or the owner. That would be amazing. That would be even more amazing. Yeah. Um, so anyhow, um, as we get started here, uh, we always ask everybody the same question uh, before we get rolling. What did you have to drink last night, Jim? A whole lot of daiquiris. Yeah? We drank a lot of daiquiris. <laughs> Where were you? We went to Leanda, and then we went, we actually we didn't really go very many spots. We basically went to Leanda and Colibri. Because you were uh, drinking all the daiquiris. Yeah, we were drinking all the daiquiris. We ate a bunch of food and drank Fino Sherry on tap at Leanda. See? That's the look. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> I'm looking at Arthur, I'm like, oh, right, I forgot he's not drinking right now. <laughs> I'm like, damn! Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bittersweet thing where I'm like, Sherry on tap, but I can't have any. And then, then Kate and the Valier team showed up, and daiquiris just started flowing. And we went to Coley Green, and all, then we just drank a bunch more daiquiris. It was a lot of daiquiris. <laughs> right not, on. A, not a lot of shots, which was great. In fact, I don't. I think we only took like one shot, uh, but a lot of daiquiris that were consumed quickly. Yeah, yeah. That's, I guess anything can be made a shot if you drink it fast enough. That's the problem with daiquiris. It's like they're they're essentially two gulp cocktails. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Any book is a kid's book if your kid can read. <laughs> <laughs> um, At that well, point, we just called them snackeries. It's just a sna- the snackery is a full size daiquiri that you drink really fast. There you go. <laughs> and then the daiquiri yeah, timeout yeah. is a small daiquiri. No, I, I always subscribe to the daiquiri timehouse as a damn daiquiri. <laughs> but um, it, this is the first time we've really gotten into a spirit that I think is really widely misunderstood. And like, because I've known you and I know your like knowledge level about um, spirits in general, um, especially from Rumba and how deep that knowledge runs. Um, Kashasa, uh, we were just talking before we uh, got rolling here today. I mean, like, it's even mysterious to me. Because there's not a lot of solid info out there, and a lot of the people that are uh, like salesmen for the category, they're just kind of towing the company line and the the spec sheet and something that Arthur and I were talking about earlier. It's like you know, it's hard to kind of uh, educate people if you don't really understand it yourself. Well, even the people that are at trade shows that are holding down a booth that are pouring it don't really 
give me on surface level information. And, and, and despite the fact that it's, it's, a, it's a beverage that's only been recently popularized to a lot of people, it's been a thing for a while. I mean, I remember hearing about Kazasha 15 years ago. You know, and it's a surprise considering how behemoth of a category is, because Brazil drinks a lot of cachaça. It's the fifth most consumed spirit in the world. More cachaça is produced and consumed than rum. Huh? It's, it's mostly in Brazil. Lots of caipirinhas. Lots of caipirinhas. Yeah. Lot lots of, of caipirinhas. Lot of garbage cachaça is consumed. Uh, and but it's it's such a massive category. Like you could you we've we've equated we even say it publicly. It's like. By volume, the Caipirinha is probably the most popular cocktail in the world. So, for those listeners out there that don't understand exactly what cachaça is, um, you want you mind explaining? You know, it, it, cachaça is basically is, is uh, distilled, fresh pressed, fermented cane juice. So, while most rum is distilled from molasses, which basically when you when you cut down cane and you basically refine sugar and then you get molasses, and then you then you just ferment and distill that, and that makes rum. Uh, is always done with fresh cane juice, which is very similar to like the French style of rum, rum agricole, and uh, done in, in very similar ways as rum agricole, but it's more regional. So cachaça has to come from Brazil, and has to be made from fresh cane juice. Other than that, that's that's essentially what cachaça is. Aside now, is that from a, an nitpicky. official um, designation in the United States now? Is there a category for cachaça? There is a category for cachaça. When it was first imported to the U.S., they called it Brazilian rum. And then, and then fought around it, and now it's called cachaça. To be honest, I don't know. Maybe we'd sell more cachaça if it was just called Brazilian rum. But, <laughs> but it deserves its own category. It's, it's big, like I said, it's bigger than rum. It's, it predates rum. The Portuguese, when they, when they started colonizing in the New World, the Portuguese, they'd already, they'd already figured out sugarcane distilling and manufacturing in Madeira. And they immediately went to South America. They immediately planted sugarcane. They immediately started distilling it. And it, so it predates rum by almost 100 years. And Brazil's a big-ass country. Yeah, it's huge. Like, people don't realize how... It's like basically like two-thirds the size of the U.S. by both population and area. It's a very large country. It's the eighth largest economy in the world. Um, the biggest exporter of and consumer and producer of, like, coffee and bananas and sugar. Uh, they're, they say, the, the political leader of South America. They just they don't really get involved too much in international politics, so they get kind of forgotten... Well, that's not true. I think Trump called everybody a shithole country recently. It's true. They definitely, I don't know if they qualified as the shithole country. I don't think they're they're like second world. I don't think anybody qualifies as a (laughs) shithole country. (laughs) (laughs) But I think they, I think they just like, they get forgotten a lot. They get kind of just dismissed off to the side as being this like, oh, you know, like they, they they dance and wear skippy clothing there and then, and. Lots of beautiful women. Carnival, lots of beautiful women. Carnival, it's, yeah. But it's like a massively diverse country, like huge amounts of, like, there are more Italians in Sao Paulo than there are in Rome. Really? Like, like, there's like the huge Italian population, huge Japanese they're population. They're in Rome, they're like, hey, you know how all of you are Italian? <laughs> By the way. By the way. We can erase this city and replace you with Brazilians. Like, huge cities, ma- massive Japanese population. That I did know, yeah. Uh, it's a crazy country. Well, they're actually, they're like a massive export market of, like, grape and grape concentrate to Japan, I think. Yeah? I didn't know that. I, <laughs> there we go. I, I've always been fascinated with uh, Brazil from a culinary standpoint because there's so, like, so many fruits and stuff growing in the, in the rainforest that, like, we haven't even started to tap into. And regionally speaking, again, like, what, what they do in the north of Brazil is very different than what they do in the south of Brazil. And I think that gets forgotten a lot in other large countries. Like, we sit around in the U.S., and obviously, like, the different cultures within the U.S. Sure. are huge, both from all aspects, from culinary aspects, from just who people are, and the same as in Brazil. It's just like what they do in the north, and they don't do in the south. And sure, I mean it's the difference between like uh, New England clam chowder and going down to Creole cooking yep. and going into southwestern cooking and California cuisine and. Yeah, totally. It's a big-ass country. But, like, in addition to being fresh-pressed sugarcane juice, there's, like, a lot of other, like, variables that are out there that, that differentiate it between, like, a, an agricole-style rum coming from Martinique or Guadeloupe. Um, and, again, for those listeners out there that aren't sure what I'm talking about there, revisit some of our episodes uh, with Ben Jones from Rum Clement and uh, Spear Bomb. But, I mean, there are other differentiators as well, right? I mean, we're not just saying, okay, it's just fresh-pressed sugarcane juice that's been fermented and distilled in Brazil. It's not just a geographic difference, is it? 
at, a, at its heart of what, what it is in a technical, legal aspect, there aren't really any differences. But the fact is, like, there's so many different varietals of sugarcane, for one. Um, the fact, whenever you distill anything from a pretty raw matter, it's going to taste different depending on that matter and where you are. Like, it's a very terroir-driven spirit. We, we, we always say that cachaça is in the Latin spirits category rather than the rum category because it actually has a lot more similarities to agave world because it's made from a plant. I don't, I don't, I don't think molasses is a plant, but like sugarcane is a plant because it tastes like the plant. And so wherever you are, whatever the soil is there, uh, all the terroir involved, it's going to taste different no matter what. Uh, and that's really, and then, then the different styles of distilling are, are massive as well. Most, if we're, if we're talking differences between like cachaça and agricole, Almost, almost all agricole is made, and all AOC agricole is made in, in column stills. Um, distilled about like 72% alcohol, a bunch of nerdy things there. Uh, whereas cachaça has two very glaring categories, which is basically industrial cachaça and craft, or in Brazil they call it the alambiques, for the, named after the still, basically alembic pot stills. I know craft is starting to be a, a dirty word these days. Right. So whatever's not a dirty word for being well, it like... It doesn't really mean anything anymore, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a trendy marketing term. And so alambic cachaças are basically made in a, in a pot still on a pretty small scale, whereas industrial cachaças are, they're basically making ethanol out of sugar. It's, they're, they're making fuel. And I, I can't say a lot of nice things about industrial cachaças because they don't taste good. They're making fuel. They're, they're, they're doing everything they can to, to have the giant yield, and that's, that's the volume. But on a small scale, they're made in, in pot stills, in like small batches. So how's that translating into the U.S. market? Like, I mean, it's... I know it's a barely a blip on the radar because I think most of the people out there that are listening to this and I mean even ourselves included it's a very fuzzy category because you know there's a handful of producers that uh, are making their product available or even distributors are unwilling to pick them up because they don't really know what to do with it they don't know how to educate people about it they don't uh, you know like all the information you're giving us now like it's just um, it seems to be lost I think in translation between kind of the company that's producing and then the the in salesperson we're trying. We're trying. Every, every year we get a little. We get a little further. Um, we just have to. We have to keep talking about what cachaça is and how how it's its own thing. Because every, everywhere I go, whenever I just talk about, it, like I basically say, like it's cachaça. It's the national spirit of Brazil. And usually the response is like, but what is it? Is it a whiskey or is it a vodka? And I'm like, it's its own thing. It's it's the national spirit of Brazil. It's made from sugarcane. And then sort of still like, but what is it? What kind of spirit is, is it? And it's like I just have to like. I have to keep saying that because I can't say it. I mean, I can say it's a rum. I can say it's, it's in the rum family. But then you're kind of going back to the previous definition of Brazilian rum. Yeah. And the, rea- the other reality is, like, no one the, beyond that, we're, we're trying to push it further in the fact that in the south of Brazil, most people drink aged cachaça. If you go into a liquor store in the south of Brazil, it's 98% aged cachaça labels. Uh, and so, like, the, the thought of aged, they drink cachaça the way we drink whiskey. And so, like, the thought of aged cachaça to most people is, like, so far out of left field. And that's something we specialize in as a company. And so that's always, like, a real big obstacle. We're like, well, but this, they see a lineup of aged spirits, so they're just, like, completely confused. If they'd ever heard of cachaça before, to see brown cachaça to them, they just, like, they don't know what, the, they don't know what to do with it. So, so I mean, it, can it, you spoke earlier about the size of Brazil. Um, the the cross culture um, within Brazil of, of various heritage and, and, and you know, ethnic backgrounds, and with rum, you, know, you can categorize categorize rum by either agricole or industrial. You can also category uh, categorize rum according to uh, a regional distinction, so French versus Spanish versus American versus you know English, etc. Um, and then there's the other like type of, of categorizing rum where it's silver or it's you know uh, aged and, and, and amber and all that stuff it, do those kind of distinctions exist within Kasasha's category to where not really and what's funny about all those categories they're the rum world's trying to change all of that as well like the rum world's basically like these categories don't make any sense uh, because they don't apply to anything. So now the rum world, the whole rum world is trying to recategorize with Mr. Mr. Gargano's system of categorizing by, by how the rum is made in, in doing like single single rums and pure rums uh, basically based on like distillation methods, but not really in, in Brazil. Most of the time they'll categorize it as industrial and alambiques. 
But other than that, they're, they're, they're not really like a lot of styles, characteristics like that way. Because they're also, again, they're an estimated honor. Like, we don't even know how many distilleries there are in, in Brazil because most of them don't pay their taxes and they're not actually legal. But it's probably like 30,000 distilleries making cachaça in Brazil. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, a lot. It's a large number. It's a lot. I mean, considering there's like just over 100 distilleries in Scotland. Um, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah 30,000. It's a bigger number. So a lot of these are like just kind of out there in the backwoods, you know, just people making for the town. It's kind of like mezcal where like, you know, if, you, if you're a mezcalator, you make mezcal. If you own an actual still, you're a palenquero because uh, you own a, a, a palenque. Is it kind of the same where there's a lot of people just making shit out in yeah, the mountains? Yeah, that's absolutely. They usually, they, they, they just, they make it for own. their community. Yeah. Um, and the reason why they're kind of off the radar is that the taxes are so high. The taxes are massive in Brazil for, for spirits. So what they do, they just make it for the community and they, they don't pay their taxes. And then at some point they'll get big enough. They're like, oh, well, I guess I, I'm, I'm actually like making a business out of this better. Uh, and we're going to legalize it. Then, but then nobody can afford it. Nobody buys it anymore. Hmm. Have you had a chance to go visit some of these guys out there down in Brazil? I have. I got to go down there a few years ago. And it's funny. It's, it's, this is where I, I equate it very similar to Miscal. If you, if you, people, people love mezcal. Everybody loves mezcal because it's delicious. And a lot of people have these, these thoughts of like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to Mexico and I'm going to go, I'm going to go drink mezcal. And in Mexico, they don't, they don't drink mezcal. Like they just like, they think that's, that's a poor man's spirit. And that's changing a lot in Mexico. And you're like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to Oaxaca and I'm going to, I'm going to find these like crazy little like palenques that are making this amazing spirit. Nope. You're not going to find. You're going to find these guys on the road with like coloring and flavoring at it and there's, worms. There's the, the bars and like, and, 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 uh, and that's again changing a lot in, in within Oaxaca and within Mexico. You can find good mezcal bars in Tijuana now, which is astonishing to me because Tijuana's Tijuana. <laughs> Tijuana's Tijuana. But now there's like you can find good mezcal bars in Tijuana, which is amazing. A lot of people in the U.S. when they go to Mexico, they're going to places like Cancun or they're going to touristy destinations and you could say like a lot of places in Mexico serve whatever beverage bought the space in their bar you know what I mean you go to a resort and it's like three or four different tequila labels that are all of the same umbrella company and yep. sorry I didn't mean to laugh I'm like seems like these days you just uh, whatever resort's serving is whatever kind of like backwoods swill that they could <laughs> with heads tails everything included and that's, I mean, like, industrial cachaças own most of Brazil. Like, the, the, big, the biggest cachaça distilleries, they're the size of Bacardi. They're a huge behemoth company. But, yeah, you go down there, you're like, all right, I'm going go to I'm gonna go to these little producers. And we, and we did. We went, out, we went outside, and we found these little producers, um, places that don't have electricity. It's all like, a, it's like water diverted off of a river to power the wheel to crush the cane. Um, and I'm sorry to say that all the cachaças I had of those did not taste very good. Uh, it's the same way if you go to like, if you just wander around Oaxaca and try to go to like Palenque's there, you're going to find stuff that doesn't taste good. It's the uh, same way. You're, all, you're not going to find any uh, Palenque's in Oaxaca because they're all up in the mountains. <laughs> um, you will find some great street food, for sure. Some of the best street food, some of the best food in Mexico as far as I'm concerned. So is there a name for um, a distillery that makes casasha, like a Brazilian... Uh, Regional term or local term, like you know, tequilas, tequilery, or mezcalero, or probably. I should probably know the term for that, and I probably have at some point, and I can't think of it right now. Um, too many caparinas, too many Casasha Hillary. I mean, a, a bar that specializes it could be called a cachaceria. There you go, but I, I don't. I, I, don't, I haven't heard any terms like a cachaçalero or some sort of term for the <laughs> right. guy that makes cachaça. It probably wouldn't be as easy as to pronounce uh, uh, with, I don't with, know. with the uh, Portuguese. There. This is probably a question I should know the answer to, and I don't. Um, the, uh, and today was the last day that Jim had his job. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, brothers. Um, I was in the Pacific Northwest, and I was visiting um, some wine regions, but I was also checking out some, some hop fields. And those are really, really cool. If you've never been to like a hop field or a, uh, a hopper, apparently, I think is what is what they call it. I think they it. are called hopper, yeah. No, yeah. They, they are. It's a real weird name, yeah. They, they, they harvest all the hops and they, these plants just like shoot up like beanstalks and grow to be like 20 feet. And then when they are, you know, harvesting and processing the, the hops, they go to the hopper. And I was there and I was like, 
Well, you make wine at a winery and you drink beer at a brewery. It's like, why the fuck isn't this called a hoppery? And the guy looked at me like I was the dumbest person on earth. <laughs> just like, I don't understand the words coming out of your mouth, boy. And I said that in class, in A class one time, just because I've always thought it was funny. And then Josh from um, Central State Brewing was like, well, they don't call a brewery a, a barleyery. And I was like, fuck you, Josh. You just killed my joke. Like, all right, so you, you got a strong point there. Beer's made from barley, got it. Um, so anyways, all right. So we don't, we, uh, we'll, we'll have to Siri that one or Wikipedia that one. Well, one of the um, things that Jim mentioned um, earlier when he was talking about, like, he said in the South, where there's a lot more aged cachazas, um, that's where... It gets real interesting to me, but I don't have a frame of reference. And I know I've talked about this to you before, but like, I mean, I've got I've had like sales reps come in and um, ask me, or not ask me, but like, oh, this is uh, aged in yada yada wood, and this yada yada wood. But I don't really have a frame of reference. I mean, I know what what oak aging does to a spirit, but I mean, I don't even know what the hell trees grow in Brazil, man. Much less what a spirit would taste like, what is drawing out of those woods. Like, how do you educate people about, like, what that process brings to the table? So this is a huge, like, multifaceted question that's a big part of big part of our company and a big part of, like, the issue. So Brazil has, like, a history of, of aging in native, native Brazilian woods because that's what's there. Um, but the, the sad part is that the Atlantic rainforest, which is basically all along the Atlantic coast of Brazil, which is deforested for cities only has like 7% of the land left. And so that's all protected now. And that's where almost the people are. And so what they did is they, they put cachaça in very large vats. Like these, they, they basically stored it in these large wooden vats because wood existed. They had wood around them. And so that there's like a history of aging in woods because that's what they had. They had all these different trees. Now that there's a history of that, people are aging in those woods, but a lot of those woods are endangered woods. You can't cut down trees in Brazil. Um, you can't get new parts of these woods. There's a massive illegal wood trade. And the interesting part about this, it's super fun that all these woods exist and that they impart something different to the spirit. But now we're already in a crisis of like, we have to be really careful about this because we're, we're like, we're destroying a resource that doesn't exist. If you're buying illegal wood to age spirits in, you're doing a horrible thing to a, to the world. Like the, the Atlantic rainforest is home to eight percent of the living the world's living species, and that's a massive number. So we have to educate on that first. We're worried because we talk about again. We return to agave and mezcal. We're worried about the wild agave populace and those varietals of agave, and we're worried about the sustainability of that category. And now in the cachaça world, we're like, if Brazilian woods start becoming a thing, like we have to be careful of that. It's already an issue. Um, and that's all fairly recent that it's becoming an issue. The, we age primarily in oak, and then if we do a Brazilian wood, it's always a, it's always a, we finish in a Brazilian wood. Okay. And so uh, we have only a couple barrels of each one of those. One of those barrels, like two of those barrels for, this is a fun example of how you get product. There was basically an, a shack outside on the, on the back of the property of one of our investors in Brazil, and our master distiller thought that it was made of it's Arariba, which is a Zebra wood. So it's extremely hard wood. How do you spell that? <laughs> uh, oh, we get the camera. I want to. I want to <laughs> capture this <laughs> look. Fuck with you, man. I mean, I'm. Uh, no, I'm you know, I actually, I have seen it um, because somebody had mentioned that wood to me at one point. But someone Googled zebra wood. They would find yeah, Brazil, they, it. Would come Brazilian like, zebra it would wouldn't be come like uh, a zebra boner. <laughs> no, I don't think. What is that? I mean, Ted, it's Ted 2. It's like, like, it's like all these black hawks. Uh, every, every time I get on Google, my boss can't black listen to this now. On. It's like A R A R I B A. There, might, there might be a double R in there somewhere. There might be. This is not my strong suit. Okay. <laughs> so, you like, the, there's a shack on the back of one of our investors' properties, and our master still is like, hey, do you want this, like, building out here? It's like, no. And he brought our Cooper out there, and he's like, how many barrels can you make out of this, like, little house? And our Cooper walked around, and he goes, two. So we did it. We, we, we tore it down, and we, we made two barrels out of it. And it's actually, like, hard-to-age spirits with it. It's, like, super tannic. Um, it is super hardwood, so it, it flashes super fast. So this wood imparts, like, a big, big funkiness to it. It, it actually, it's kind of cloudy because of the amount of resin in the wood, and we don't, um, 
we don't chill filter or we don't do any filtration really on that at all aside from like a screen. So like sediment appears in it uh, because it stripped out some of the flavor. But the first round of that only took three months to gra- capture that amount of flavor. Wow. Because it's so much, it's, it's, and it's a really hard wood to age in because it's a really hard wood. It's hard because it's hard. Are distillers allowed to adjust color with Kasasha at all, add caramel to it for consistency sake, like say cognac? They're, uh, yeah, they're, I mean, that's not actually that widely done. done as far as I know in Brazil. Um, you're allowed to add up to five grams per liter of sugar, but uh, that's, it's widely known as, and it's still considered cachaça anymore, and it's considered agua uh, but that that's kind of considered a, 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 a thing. Is that a Brazilian Brazilian Okay, I'm probably butchering that as well, but I'm close. Sounds like there's some Portuguese creeping in there. Well, yeah, well, creeping in. Since that's the national language of Brazil, it might be creeping in. There. <laughs> <laughs> Portuguese is a wacky language. It is, man. man. That's why when he said that, I was like, it sounds like ardiente, but yeah, uh, but yeah, like a lot of similarities. But it's 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 that's considered a faux pas. Most of the people, most quality producers would never add sugar to the cachaça. And do you know offhand like what form of sugar they're adding? Is that just I don't actually. Um, as we would never add any sugar to ours, and I don't know any quality producers that do. Uh, I'm actually not sure the form of sugar they would add to that because basically they're they're kind of trying to smooth out the harshness right, of the spirit. Right, right, right. Kind of cover up mistakes and you know, of course. So these woods, it's but you don't see a lot. I mean, so when you're talking about aging in some of those woods, I mean, but primarily what you see on the shelves, if like some of our listeners would go out and like try to hunt down a cachaça on, on, in the liquor store, I mean, most of what we see out there is unaged stuff. Yeah, and that's because when cachaça first, I mean, that's what most is, that's what the volume is consumed anyway. Okay. When cachaça first entered the U.S., the big companies came came across. They brought silver only, and they marketed the caipirinha, which is right. probably the smart thing to do. Right. Because otherwise, it's just a strange thing. And so it's taken us a long time to really make aged cachaça to start talking about it uh, being a thing. And aged cachaça in Brazil is changing a lot as well. American oak is just a beautiful spirit, to, a beautiful wood to age spirit in. It's, it's porous, it has vanillins, it tastes good. There's a reason why, like, every spirit in the world is aged in oak, because it's a really good spirit for that. It breathes and contracts, and it absorbs a lot, and it puts out a lot. And it's very harmonious, which is why it's also the foundation of ours, but it's also sustainable. We were one of the first distilleries to put uh, cachaça down in barrels that were like ex-bourbon barrels, American oak. Uh, But that wasn't even that long for a spirit that's almost 500 years old. The first time that we know of that people were using like American oak ex-bourbon barrels, the most prevalent barrel in the world, to age cachaça was like the year 2000. Wow. Hmm. Uh, and that's kind of seen as both, and it, and it tastes good. That the reaction is that people like it. In Brazil, the most like the the, the shift has been that people are drinking it with uh, spirits that are the cachaça stage in American oak. <coughs> um, a couple of thoughts. Um, first, are there like are there aging criteria in place for terminology on the label? Like, is there reserva? Is there gram reserva? Or, uh, Blanco? Are these regulated by time and barrel? And then could also. You mentioned 500 years old, which I'm, I'm actually surprised about because, you know, we've had, you know, civilizations in, in, in South America, you know, thousands of years. So 500 years is kind of... Well, but that's distillation was brought to the New World. Well, in mass, but distillation existed in America, South America, Central America. Well, on top of that, though, you have um, to think about sugarcane being brought over as well. Like, yeah, and sugarcane was sugar brought cane to was the okay, right, indigenous right. so there, to South America. There you go. Um, rather than distillation, but the, the actual product itself. Yeah. Um, so, uh, all right. So, going on that direction, like, what are some of the conditions, natural conditions, for like prime agriculture for sugarcane? Obviously, subtropical. Yeah, and like, and there, there are so many subclimates. The, the rainforest is a crazy place. It's just like exploding with life everywhere. You have just plants growing out of plants, growing out of trees, going out. It's it's an amazing place to be because it's just it's just life is around you everywhere. And sugarcane just thrives in any environment that is like that. Like if, with the reason why like like rum agricole and cachaça, you have to you have to distill so fast after cutting it down. Otherwise, because it, it just the moment you expose sugarcane to the air in any environment where sugarcane grows, it wants to turn into booze. It just it, it will start fermenting almost instantly. Yeah, just ambient yeasts, right? And so that's that's the type of environment that we're in. And for us, 
Like we've tried planting other sugar canes, and it's just like what the sugar cane that grows there is that thrives there is the sugar cane that works, because like we're in a microclimate where like that varietal sugar cane, it grows really well here, and so that's what grows. All right, so those people aren't necessarily paying mind to cultivating certain clonal variations of sugar cane. It's just what grows. It usually, it's just what, what grows in that area. Sugar cane, and remember, kids, sugar cane uh, and uh, say rum and cassasha is only one of a couple of categories out there that have their own natural fermentable sugars and don't have to go through sacrification. Fruit being the other one, you know, brandy, the big guy in the room. Uh, grapes in case of cognac, armagnac, apples, calvados, um, and just fruits at large have natural sugars. So everything else has to go through sacrification. So um, back to sugarcane, uh, clonal issues, not really a concern. Obviously, um, a lot of people probably utilize indigenous yeast and, and allow natural fermentation. Yeah, I was going to ask about that as well. So are these, like, during the fermentation, is it like closed-in fermentation? or like We, do, we do open, open fermentation. We cultivate yeast from our own sugarcane fields. Um, and kind of kickstart every every batch. We're I mean, we're gonna kind of do continuous batches to, to blend through. And it, but if we if we like, can't produce for a few days, then we have to like kick, we have to kickstart and cultivate yeast again. And we cultivate it from our we cultivate from our cultivate it from our fields every year. Okay. And so usually the harvest time is from about because uh, it's opposite. Usually the harvest time is like May to September or so. So that's when we're distilling and harvesting the sugarcane. And a lot of times, now, you said usually. Does that is that uh, legislated, or that's just kind uh, of just typical? It's kind of the best seasonal. Seasonal, time? yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. seasonal. And that's the thing is, it takes it takes a year for sugarcane to grow. Sure, it's basically a full season, and it grows a lot in that those last month. It grows like half of its right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I'm always fascinated by sugarcane and sugarcane growth. I've been on the hunt for God, better part of a decade now at this point, um, for some sort of like really like a compendium resource guide of sugarcane varietals, but yeah, there, there nothing exists out there. Uh, no, it's not out there. there yeah, no. we, you, yeah, that's right. You, you've been hunting down for some of that as well. If you find it, let me know too. I want to know. I know. Well, I've asked everybody I, that would know, and there's... Yeah, I love there's, when everyone says, why would you want to know such things? Because you know, right. like, uh, I want to know. Thank it's you. my retirement plan. And there's, well, good luck, because so many. Yeah. Like, it's just like so uh, many yeah. micro varietals. Well, it's just an excuse to travel around the world. It's <laughs> a good know? excuse. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's no there's no regulation on that because um, like in in Martinique, part of the AOCs, you only use like I think 16 varietals of of, of cane. Um, in Guadeloupe, on the other hand, though, they just like they just get whatever juice that they there's left over from for, from sugar production. So right. They, yeah, yeah. And so they they kind of get whatever. Whereas they're more particular about their cane in Martinique, and I think Brazil is more like you have to deal with your own climates. So I think a lot of those canes wouldn't grow as well. So whatever it's growing there is really what you're you're bringing through into the bottle, yeah. and, and that's one of the reasons that I really enjoyed it. And, and as I told you uh, before, I, I don't have a, a, a deep knowledge on the subject because I, I've only been really exposed to a wide range of the products. Where I mean, I, I feel like this is one of those products. If you want to learn about, you really need to taste a lot of them side by side by side by side by side, so you can really kind of get a little bit of details about you know sample A, B, C, D, E, and F, so you can kind of start to deduce what the uh, variable was that made that one taste different from this one. And, uh, I mean, you know, we, one of our past guests, Martin Kate, um, you know, he mentioned that uh, or we were in Miami with him a couple years ago, and, and we they were concentrating on Cachaca that year. And so we just kind of went down the line and tasted, and it was, it was really eye-opening to me, but I, I can't say that it was like, wow, I learned so much. I mean, I did learn a lot, but it, it was the tip of the iceberg. No, no, I didn't, didn't learn shit at that tasting, and I tasted through all of them and, and was able to make my own assessment, but you're taking a page from certain other marketing bodies that think you just put, you know, an attractive woman behind the table in a yeah. short skirt, and she just pours and smiles, and you're just supposed to, okay, I'll buy two, you know, like, whatever. Whatever, man, you were up with the guy hanging out with the alligator. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's fun. I mean, who don't like kiss that? the alligator. <laughs> don't kiss him. <laughs> that was our instructions. They were like, don't kiss the alligator. Like, a little word there of was advice. no risk of us kissing the alligator. What what can I, what can I do to the alligator then? <laughs> <laughs> no shit. And who, who, was the, who was the brave person who was like, I'm going to kiss that alligator to make them be like, that's the thing you can't do. <laughs> the thing you can't do is you can't kiss the alligator. What? Excuse me, sir. You're out of here. We just told you don't kiss the alligator. Oh, we have to make a sign now. From here on out, disclaimer. 
<laughs> Don't kiss the alligator. Don't kiss the alligator. George over there. Telling you, man, I'm putting on a shirt for you. Every episode, we get to gain another Arthur Black shift drink shirt. Like, yeah. this one's going to be Don't Kiss the Alligator. Don't Kiss the Alligator. Bunny. Well, it started, it started with uh, they, this interview, and uh, they had inter- some magazine interviewed me for a piece, and uh, they talked to him about me, and that makes me a little fucking nervous. I don't know. I don't want his mouthy ass talking about me. Yeah. And I, I, I texted the writer. I'm like, so how did everything go after you talked to Arthur? And the response was, he was excessively mean and vulgar. <laughs> I was like, fucking asshole. Wow. <laughs> they didn't sugarcoat it either. Huh? No, no, they, they, were, they were like, well, you know, it went pretty well. There's no, no, he was excessively mean and vulgar. Right? What a pussy. Just kidding. <laughs> Hey! Um, Shout out to Jeff Rabel. Thank you very much. That was a it was a great piece. But yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't the first. I'm telling you, it's gonna be the shift drink shirt, man. Excessively mean and vulgar. <laughs> That's shirt number one. Uh, we got plenty of them. And, oh, yeah, we're working on them. So uh, yeah, you you're a pretty recent uh, addition to Noble Fogo, right? You, what, you're on your second year at this point. Yeah, it's about, I'm about a year and a half in. Year and a half in, because um, I knew you from Rumba in Seattle. Again, still one of my favorite places. Um, I'm really proud of like what you've accomplished because like it, it it seemed like a weird jump at first because I just knew you as that bar guy and you know like you said a vessel and, and, and going to rumba, but you you had mentioned before we sat down here today that you like didn't know that this was kind of in your blood, but well the, I mean the, as far as like rum or cachaça cachaça because um, it all starts as like rum I, I wasn't like a big rum person until I was kind of like put in a place of being offered the, the role to manage rumba really and so yeah i was I, I was a big like scotch drinker i still am a big scotch drinker and i was kind of like well the, here's here's rumba this opportunity i was like well this is, a, this is a great bar that i i see a lot of opportunity and i really walking into it i was like can i really deal with just making rum cocktails all the time and i'm like i don't know if i'm gonna be able to deal with that and then i took the job obviously and then it was the best job i've ever had it was like i i was thrilled to launch myself into the rum world except for the current one <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> well, I, I haven't been here long yet. It's good. But my lifestyle is much better now. But uh, is, you mean you have nights, weekends, time with your family? Right? What? <laughs> I'm going to have babies. I, uh, yeah, launching the rum world itself is just like, is so vast and nobody knows anything uh, that it was so much fun to be a part of that and kind of like become a fixture in it. And uh, with Cachaca... Like, I've, I've known the owner of Novo Fogo, Dragos, uh, many years. You know, I've worked together on, on lots of projects here and there. That's why I went to Brazil with them uh, before, like, three and a half years ago for the World Cup. And so it was... So well before you worked for yeah, the company. Yeah, well before I worked for the company, we, they, they, they took me down there because they were making a trip for the World Cup. And, I mean, I, Brazil's a great place, and you fall in love with it, and it's, it's, a, it's a magical experience. Uh, and for me, it was more like I was... I was very, very patiently and very slowly looking for um, an alternative career outside of being behind the bar because I'm getting older and, I'm, and I wanted like I want to do things like have a family and I didn't want to do that behind the bar and so there's this is more like I, I, I respect the company a great deal um, we, we are fully transparent on everything we do um, if, if you ask us questions if you ask us a way of how we do it and I, I don't know I'll find out and tell you um, if you think of a better a better way for us to do something we'll probably do it um, it's just a, a, a company to work for that is trying to do everything the best way possible. Like trying to give give back to Brazil. We're starting a, we're starting a nonprofit for reforestation in Brazil. Uh, we take care of our cane cutters. Um, we're organic. We're a zero waste facility. To be able to like stand in front of a room of people and talk about those things uh, means a lot to me. Like I just like, I have integrity in this business, and I had I only will work for a company if I can talk about that and not try to hide. Like shitty things that a company may do. Not not that any alcohol companies ever do shitty things. Of course never, not. Never, 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 I've never heard of it. And so for me, it was more like I, I've I've had a relationship with the brand and the company for a long time, and I saw them as being at a, at a position to grow. And for me, it was a perfect way for me to launch out of it because I've I've always been like, well, I'm, I'm gonna I'm, I don't know how to do that, but I'm gonna figure it out. And so that for that me to be with a small company where, where every decision I'm a part of, it means a lot to me. Now, having heard you say all that, and I mean, for a lot of our listeners out there that don't that don't know you, and I've know I know you personally, I know your integrity. Like, that's not bullshit. Like, <laughs> for for him to like tout the company line and like and, and say those things, I mean, it really does mean a lot because he's not going to just go where the paycheck is and, and and just spit a bunch of bullshit out because it's talking points that they told talk about. So, I mean, yeah, I 
I've always found you to so. be of, uh, of high integrity um, because you don't want to sell bullshit. I mean, that's, that's how I got to know you is because I, I knew that I could trust your opinion. Sometimes <laughs> I call out bullshit companies and I can't work for them now, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> they excessively mean and vulgar. I'm excessively mean, <laughs> excessively and, mean and vulgar. I'm, Shirt I'm, number I'm, one goes to Jim. I'm, a, I'm aggressively <laughs> truthful sometimes online. <laughs> There you go. Heard that one. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be Jim's shirt. Aggressively <laughs> truthful. <laughs> We're in the wrong business, man. We need to be in like these t-shirt t-shirt clever business. t-shirts. I'm all about oh, clever yeah. t-shirts. I'll, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll join on that, on that <laughs> there we go. company in Harvey. We just started a company right here in New York City, folks. It's all the things that happen in our travels. Excessive and vulgar, LLC. <laughs> t-shirt yeah, That would be amazing. How many, uh, how many market, how, like, what's your area that you work? Obviously, you're based in Seattle. I, I'm based in Seattle. I cover the whole West Coast. I cover a lot of the mountain states. I cover Western Canada. Um, and I work Western on- Western Canada. That narrows it down to, like, I don't know, the continent of uh, Asia? <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, well, there's that's a, a huge chunk of There's not a lot of people. It's very yeah, large. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. not a lot of people. I'm not, I'm not going up to the Yukon Territory selling kachatsa. <laughs> you said a lot of Yukon, uh, Cornelius. Market, you need I will. some kachatsa. Mountain states, are you a hiker? Uh, yeah, I grew, I, mean, I grew up in Seattle, so I grew up backpacking and hiking, and I don't do it enough now. But Seattle's a wonderful spot for that, because you, you go 30 minutes outside of the city, and you're in the mountains. Mm. It's the best part. It's one of the it's best things It's one of the reasons Seattle's. that I love that city so much, because you got, like, oysters practically year-round. You've Very got different mo- in any direction you go. Mountains moderate temperatures, east, south warm. Mushrooms. Stop like, typing up Seattle. To, to, people I mean, aren't supposed to move but there. But the rain's oh, terrible, the folks. Rain, the rain's so terrible. <laughs> and the hippies. That's Portland. Yeah, that is That's Portland. hipsters, not really hippies. A lot of those in Portland. The hipness just keeps changing as you go further you south. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get hipsters, you go further south, there's more hippies. Anyway, you know, uh, Martin Kate's around all the hippies. What are you girls gossiping about? Hippies. Hippies? Uh, Martin just joined the table with us. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, Martin Kate's sitting down there yeah, with him yeah. a cocktail over there. Yep, he selfishly helped himself because... <laughs> right, we're, all, we're just drinking a bunch of water. Like a so you know, Jim, when you're—I uh, mean, you've obviously got an uphill battle, um, and it's definitely hard enough in the rum world. And but I think even like magnifying that uh, exponentially in the cachaça world um, to educate people what it is beyond like a caipirinha. It's, it, I'm just trying to educate people on the Kyberenia. Yeah, really? We, I mean, we do is a that lot. step one? That's this step one. We, and we do a whole lot of work. We're like trying to, st- we do this, we use the same thing. Go beyond the Kyberenia. But like, the reality is like, we haven't taught people what a Kyberenia is. No. And so that's, that's a no. huge part of our, our mantra as well. And Why don't we do that right now? It's, it's, I, I, for anybody listening, can you, can you verbalize how to make Kyberenia? I can, absolutely. The Kyberenia, which as I said before, is by, what I would est- estimate by volume is the most popular cocktail in the world, uh, is simply muddled lime, sugar, and cachaça. That's all it is. You basically take, take half a lime, you score it, you smash it in a glass with some, bunch, with like a tablespoon of sugar or so, and, and two ounces of cachaça, add ice. And shake it or stir it or drink it all if you want. What I think the beauty of the Caipirinha is it, it's not a pretty drink. You don't need to make it this beautiful, like, presentation. Like, it's fantastic for home because you just, like you said, you smash it up, you throw yeah. the stuff in, and you drink it. Uh, there's beach carts going up and down the beaches in Brazil. Yeah, you, you, have, to ima- you have to imagine you're on the beach in Brazil when you drink it anyway. Well, I'm always imagining I'm on, I'm on a beach when I'm drinking any rum cocktails. Well, I'm not imagining you uh, in Brazil on the beach, Ed. <laughs> Well, you've seen me in Miami Beach. I'm like, with this exact, like, you know, beanie hat on and my long sleeves and, like, a bunch of zinc and whatever, like, sunblock. I don't, I don't oh, agree you've seen with me the there. We were, we were in Martinique together. I would be like, I'm 15 minutes in the ocean and I'm 15 minutes in the shade of the boat. <laughs> yeah. I, I swapped off. It's there's, rough, man. There's, there's, no, there's no sunscreen that works for this to hang out in the water for so no, long. Man, we're, gi- we're gingers. Looking like, looking like yeah. Marlon Brando from the <laughs> I'm not real for sun. I'm <laughs> yeah. covered in a fucking cold cover sheet. <laughs> <laughs> a little monkey humanoid on your shoulder. Well, we were in Miami, what, two, three, four years ago? I don't even remember now. My sister was with us, and she lives in Florida. And we were on Miami Beach, and I was wearing, you know, you know, it's like a sock hat and uh, long sleeves and 
sunblock and glasses and just totally covered up. And she's like, you don't really know how to do the beach, do you? I'm like, yeah, I actually, I do know how to do the beach. People with my skin complexion, this is exactly, this is how, exactly we do the beach. how you do the beach. That's absolutely right. <laughs> I'm like, if I don't, don't do this in five minutes, I'm going to be ruining the rest of the vacation. Yeah, I can't do that. I've done that. <laughs> oh, man, me too. It, and and, and I, I, apparently I forget about, one, about every, like, seven or eight years. I just, I just forget that that's a thing and something doesn't work and I just fry myself and I'm like... Okay, in another eight well, years, I might be off. Maybe little, I'll forget again. Little, little stop. You're getting closer to 40, so, you know. So then you just sort of skin cancer. More, 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 more skin cancer. In. You're like, That's oh the cruel God. joke of being into, like, Caribbean spirits, right? You're like, ah, I love Caribbean spirits. <coughs> oh, yeah, I can't really <coughs> spend any time there. No, yeah, not Jim, all. pale, redhead. Ed, <laughs> yeah. pale, redhead. Yeah. Yeah. You're like... Brothers, man. I know. Fucking gingers in your rum. Well, or, or sugar-based. Um. Sugar. Well, he's a rum guy too. I mean, that's how I met him, and then you know, I, I lo- that's why I, I love the jump, and I wanted to bring Jim on the show because it is something a little bit different, um, and it's something that I don't know a lot about. But one thing that we do share uh, before we wrap up here today is uh, Jim's also kind of a metalhead, man. So he's like a great, uh, right, he's a right. great guest for the show, man. I I find a lot of bartenders to be like. Be metalheads. Yeah, yeah. I find I, I, it's surprising how many people are that I that I've recognized. Like, hey, I'm going to the I'm going to the, the Hammerfall show, and I'm like, you are, <laughs> and I'm like, awesome, I'm coming too. We yeah. were just talking with uh, Martin Kate, and he said one of his bartenders when she's doing her prep, like cranks on like Slayer. When yeah. she's, <laughs> you know? I think I think I think a lot more bartenders are metalheads. I've found many over the years. They're well, all they're all nerds and they're all and a lot of them are metalheads. I mean, speaking thereof, uh, Slayer just announced their final tour this year. They're uh, they're not going to tour anymore after this, so they're going on a big tour with Anthrax, Testament, Behemoth, uh, Lamb of God. Oh, yeah. They're going to come to Indy. That's a show. <clears throat> that is a hell of a show. They are they're only hitting select cities. Um, they are not going to Indianapolis, um, but they are going to do Chicago, which is will be the closest show for us. Um, I'm hoping that they do, uh, that Slayer will actually come around solo and do a little bit um, in a smaller venue. I love I love seeing them, but I want to see them in a smaller venue, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's that's, that's a bummer, man. But, I mean, you know, they're getting up there, and I know Tom's losing his hearing a little bit. And I mean, <laughs> go figure after 35 years it's of screaming. Touring, yeah. yeah, I know. It's that, crazy. They've only been on tour. For, they, they've toured forever. And having gotten to see Anthrax, and that, that was real cool. They, I mean, they, they killed that show. And but I, God, there's there's I'm going to see Watain here in a few weeks. So that if, if in case you don't hear any more episodes from Shift Drink, it's probably because I couldn't hear through the headphones after going to the Watain show. Like it just destroyed my ears, and now I have tinnitus. But and Arthur fell off the wagon and is dead in a ditch. <laughs> it might be. Are you going to go to that Watain show with me? Uh, when is it? Uh, that's right. It's, you lose your hearing, we can still make T-shirts. That's right. I think it's February 27th. You know, I mean, you you can't wear. <laughs> so I, I invited a few people to go, and I'm not sure how many people are actually gonna go. Um, but I was like, we're gonna get into the front in the uh, Gallagher Splash Zone. They're like, <laughs> what do you mean by that? I'm like, they are known to throw like real pig's blood on people. <laughs> <You know? laughs> So you just like bring your Gallagher plastic, man. You know <laughs> that always goes over so well. <clears throat> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It went over real well. Uh, just actually right near here in, in Brooklyn. I think they're here like three yeah, years ago. There you go, Peta. Well, that was what happened. So they threw a bunch of pig's blood on the audience. There was, uh, I guess, uh, several vegans in the front, and uh, they started vomiting because I'm like, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that uh, sucks, and I, I don't actually don't want pig's blood. No, on me. I don't either. I'm not going to get in the splash. As a, as a person who's been to so many guar shows. I'm, I'm happy. I'm nice. happy to, to be covered in that. But like, yeah, yeah, that's like, fake blood. Yeah, throw a little bit of pig's blood in me. I'm like, I don't want this on me. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm staying out of the splash. Also, it actually stains, and it actually reeks and goes yeah. rancid and has diseases. I said okay, but hey, man. I'm black metal, but I'm not that hardcore. <laughs> I'm black metal, but I'm also 40. <laughs> that's, that's, the real, that's the real reality. You're like, oh, I'm pretty old for this. Yeah. Has this been pasteurized? <laughs> so who would, what was it? Devil Driver, is that the name? Devil Driver, yeah, man. We saw yeah, them the, uh, several months ago. Yeah, and both Ed and I were eyeballing the pit like, 
I want to go in, but that's not happening. That's, that's how. I, that's like every show. I'm like, maybe I'll go in for this song. No. Yeah. Oh, oh man. Last day. When we saw Havoc, they had an insane circle pit going. The guy I was with was like 32, I think, and he's like, oh man. I'm like, dude, don't do it. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like. I always stayed like right on the outer circle of the pit at a Slayer show. I'm like, man, I want to be in there, but I can't do that anymore. And nor do I want to explain to my wife when I come home the next day why I have like two black eyes, my lips busted, and like, I was at a concert. It was a concert. <laughs> She's my excuse. I don't remember. I love black eyes. What are you talking well, about? Yeah, man. Then she just gives you a lecture on being 40. <laughs> yeah. See, I told you don't go yeah, to she that just, concert. Yeah, she'll just call you stupid. It's fine. Yeah, she doesn't go to that stuff. No. Hey, I took her to, well, we, I actually, I took her to see uh, Exodus and King Diamond. And um, I think Exodus was probably 45 seconds into their set. Before she looks at me, she goes, oh, no. And uh, <laughs> covered up her ears and went to the back of the room and, oh, and, no. and drank beer at the bar. <laughs> it's like, all right. Well, one last thing before we wrap up. Uh, we always ask people, how do they recover? What's a good hangover cure? My... I mean, my I, I don't have a lot of good hangover cures. I, I, <laughs> you tried I, I them just, all, though? <laughs> I've tried so many. My, my hangover cure is that I always eat a shitload of food right before going to bed after I'm drinking. I get to a certain point where I'm like, no, I need food. I, like, I basically, like last night, I was like, I think I had a, just a few daiquiris into the, to, into the I need food. So we went at like five in the morning and got like garbage sandwiches and I felt great this morning. Garbage sandwiches. Maybe not great this morning. There's no, there's no amount of me in my age that now feels great after a night of drinking. It always, I always feel like I drank last night. Um, I'm pretty good these days about not drinking too much because I can't, I can't do it. It's rough. It's a long recovery. I have, I have, I have no cures anymore. Be careful, kids. <laughs> Water, food. I'm, I'm starting, see, that's the thing, is, like, I, I try to do the, like, one drink, one water, one drink, one water, but that only lasts for, like, the first drink, <laughs> you know? <laughs> then I'm like, well, I mean, alcohol's got water in it, so aren't I technically drinking water? I would say one thing that I didn't, it took me a long time before I realized, Seattle is obsessive about giving you water when you're drinking. Yeah? Like, almost every bar you walk into is, like, water. It's falling from the sky. Yeah, it's water's everywhere. <laughs> it's, it's so rainy, there's just water's everywhere. There's we, water. We're an obsessive city. Like, everybody's just like, here's your water, here's your water, here's your water. I'm like, yeah, I like, I like that, so I'm used to it. So sometimes I travel, and, like, if you're in California, you have to, like, request water. Because, like, they've got oh, right, droughts the and things like that. And I get, I just fuck myself over because every once in a while I'm just like, oh, I don't feel like asking for a water because it's not in front of me. And I'm just like, I'm fine. I've had enough water. And that, that is what kills me. So, Well, there you go. So the I, answer is the answer there is, is no I have, answer. I have, zero, I have zero hangover cures anymore. Well, the Jim Rumble section of, the, of our uh, hangover cure book <laughs> is going to be blank. <laughs> We're going to have the blank cures, page. Don't do this beforehand. But there's going to be a T-shirt. All right, Jim. Put this place. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. This has been a, a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to like hitting a few bars with you tonight. So, uh, likewise. I don't know what Arthur's got going Tomorrow's on. Tomorrow's gonna be a good day too. Tomorrow's gonna be great. I really can't. Uh, I can't wait to try some of the uh, rums that are gonna be put in front of us. I've, I've heard. I've heard tales of, of things being brought out uh, tomorrow. I like tales. All okay. right, gentlemen. Thank awesome. you very much. Thanks. Cheers. Thank, Thank you. you. Cheers.